All right, this is where I say, well, I messed up that uh, opener. <laughs> yep, fix it in post. Uh, we're recording. Fix it in post. Hello, hello, mm-hmm. fermented folks. Welcome to Fermented Fiction. My name is Colin Poynton. I am one of your glamorous podcasters here, along with Mr. Clay Vermolm and Mr. Travis Vermolm. Please introduce yourselves. Glamorous? Glamorous, that's the word. That's or glamorous. <laughs> you choose. <laughs> I like glamorous. I was going to say nice adjective. Um, oh. I I feel pretty introduced. I'm glad yeah. uh, I'm not glamorous. Yeah, I mean, no, me either. This is a very wrinkly t-shirt I'm wearing, and, <laughs> and I stand by it. I have a mat disease, so definitely not. Glamorous. Is that your life update? <laughs> it will be. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go into detail for the for the listener. <laughs> Good, awesome. Uh, so we here at Fermented Fiction, we talk about genre fiction, and we have lovely craft beers that we accompany those things with. We also talk about pop culture, um, new cool movies, also just old cool movies, uh, usually along the horror slash sci-fi slash uh, fantasy but you can also get in the comments and recommend stuff that we should check out we also do author interviews those are all available on any podcasting platform check out uh, I don't know where Clay is in relation to me and also no one who listens to this can see me pointing anywhere but basically uh, Clay's website is also a good place to get all of our updates and we do our best to put stuff on social media and YouTube with Cascade Writers dang all right yeah Today you we you are doing you got the fall. Rage of Dragons. Yeah, by Evan Winter. By Evan uh, Winter, yeah. an awesome fantasy book. But the question is, we are going to debate it, which is coming up next. But before we get to covering that, which will be the most of our show, we'll do some life updates. Life updates. Who's life updating first? I can start since mine's already been teased um, for the first <laughs> time. In- man i don't know how long it's gotta be it's gotta be around like six years since i've had one of these because i really didn't catch anything in college they were a lot better about cleaning their mats so for those listeners who don't know in pretty much all combat sports one of the risks you run is your skin is touching places where other people's skin touches and people are gross and they're all sweaty and if you don't clean those surfaces like boxing gloves or mats or heavy bags if you don't clean those well enough uh you get infections so i have a skin disease for all you on youtube look at that look at that nastiness Ugh. uh called impetigo but it'll be gone soon it's also prevalent in babies so if you have children out there and you're listening watch out for impetigo it's gross <laughs> But easy to get rid of. So that's my life update. Uh, Are you going to pull through? I'm fine. Although, see, I said I was going to go into detail. If you don't treat it, like if I wouldn't have treated this, it could spread all the way down and in, and then it becomes staph, and you can like lose an eye. One of uh, our friends, one of me and Clay's friends, almost had to have his leg amputated because he got it in his knee. True. Yeah, you don't want that stuff getting on the on the inside. It's one thing when it's on the outside. Not a but the reason that it turns your skin 
to a rash is is because it's eating it you know and so if that gets on the inside it's still gonna keep eating and that's bad news and that's some horn and you eat it though if you just scooped that out ah. Oh. That's a it's good question. You. That's a that's a good question. I, I think that's it. a question for Evan Winter. I think that's a one way ticket to staff. But anyway, call him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> guaranteed in the world of the Omehi in the Rage of Dragons, those guys have dealt with it for sure. Probably with all that well, fighting. I don't think they have know. any. I don't think they got any mats, but they're definitely doing some skin contact and they're definitely, you know, probably not washing as thoroughly as they maybe should. I don't think their swords were washed ever, ever, after every use. No, I think this is pre-germ, pre-germ <laughs> knowledge, you know, <laughs> back when we didn't know about germs necessarily. Yeah. Well, what do you guys got for life updates? Mine was disgusting. So there you go, listeners. Yeah, it was. I don't have a bacterial uh, infection. <laughs> Life update. I don't, I don't know if it counts as an update if you're telling us something that didn't happen to you. I'm not dead. I'm um, still healthy. <laughs> still alive. Still alive. Still got it. As, as Logan Nine Fingers would say, I'm still alive. Um, my life update, I guess, would be... Uh, I am in Montana right now. I came home for a family emergency, uh, which turned out to be not as dire as it seemed. So that's really good news. Um, we thought my grandpa uh, might pass away on Monday. Essentially, we thought he might be moving to hospice. Um, but he made a miraculous recovery. He's still kicking. Talked to him today and yesterday. Uh, he seems to be functioning pretty well, even has some pretty good memory right now, which has been a problem in recent years. So it's, yeah, really nice to talk to him and uh, really glad that he, that he made a recovery. He's still with us. So that's all really good news. That's my update. See, Clayton shares a heartfelt update about our mutual grandfather while I talk about skin disease. <laughs> and Colin just says some bullshit that didn't happen. <laughs> we are both very glad that Grandpa... Kind of one-up, y'all. One up. Yeah, you did. Praying for you, Grandpa. Um, cool. Stay strong, Grandpa. Well, Colin brought us in, so I will bring us into the main part of the show, which there's only three of us today. Jeremy uh, caught the what I've been referring to as the Christmas crud because it seemed to hit the entire country around yeah. Christmas season. Um, and he's not feeling great, but he'll be back. But while he's gone, Clayton's going to be wearing two hats. So mm -hmm. first, we're going to do our D20 rolling game, which is um, my word. Why can I not think of words right now? Forced entrollment. Oh, he's got it. We both roll dice. Higher roll has to defend. Rage of Dragon. Excuse me. Let me grab my dice. They're right here. Lower roll has to attack. Rage of Dragons. Regardless of what we actually think about it. And then after that, Clay's going to give us some fun facts, fermented facts. And then he's going to also have some notes about our debate. So, we ready for all that, gents? Oh, yeah. Ready. Don't call that. me chance. <laughs> you got a timer? Oh, yeah. I guess I got to do that too, huh? 
Rehab. I was not prepared for that part. I, I am apparently not ready. Um, I can do a timer. I can do a timer. No, no, you're debating. I should do the timer. Right. Uh, but, you know. A die has an eyeball in it. Ooh. It's probably really hard to see. That's cool. Wormwood Gaming is now making dice, and I'm very mad that they just want to take all of my money. <laughs> That's what they do. Okay. I would buy one Except of the tables when I get a house. Right. I roll defends, right? Yeah. That's right. I roll goes That's first right. and defends. Yep. Yep. I've done this show for it's a almost, year. It's almost like you've been doing this show for two seasons. Um, <laughs> you ready, Clay? Okay. I have a timer whenever y'all are ready. All right. Touch gloves. Touch gloves. I want a good, clean debate. Touch gloves, Colin. Touch them. Never. The fight already began. Oh, wow. he's one of those guys. He's one of Better those guys. Okay. Fight. Oh, yeah. You got to roll first. Oh, good luck. That's not bad. Did you get a net 20? I got a 16. <laughs> I got a 19. So only a net 20 would have beat me. No. All right. Now, uh, Colin already opted to not touch gloves. So I'm going to start the timer. Go. All right. I'm going to continue my trend of probably stealing fun facts um, because they just lend so well to my arguments. This book is, there's a reason. So Evan Winter wrote this as an indie publish um, and it went viral to the point that Poor picked him up, which is one of the biggest like names in fantasy publishing. And there's a reason because it is absolutely fantastic. It is like Bronze Age um uh tribal warfare with dragons and magic and like a gladiator type story and queens and betrayal and family revenge anyway it's got it all like and one of the most beautiful things i think about it that's gonna be my first kind of major positive note is uh what i've been constantly hammering home with the last two seasons of the show <laughs> Of like tropes are a good thing if you use them correctly <laughs> and evan winter 100 percent uses them correctly he has a lot of the classic fantasy tropes in his novel in his story he's got the kid who's watches his father die in front of him vows revenge um dedicates his life to fighting figures out how to do that through kind of a magical means um we've read that story before but he puts it in a brand new setting with new characters that have their own depth and flavor to them puts a few like unique spins on the revenge story with the people that he's actually after not being all that bad um especially like the one warrior who actually killed his father is a is like a very good character um and then he uses those things that we already know to just bolster his story that we can get more in depth into and really commit to his characters especially tau and cheer for him even though his revenge plot isn't exactly like morally good but <laughs> we we want him to succeed um because he's such a well-written character well there's a lot of fighting that's for sure <laughs> in this book in fact if you don't like constant sword fights you shouldn't read it because uh, that's 99% of this book, 99% <laughs> is all sword fights, all the time, every day. 
Uh, he, Tao does one thing right, and that's what he does the whole book, baby. The whole time, all the time, everybody he knows, everyone he interacts with, his entire life, upwards and forwards and upside down, all of his family relationships, friends, everything, sword fighting. <laughs> Uh, I think we all love sword fights, uh, very popular worldwide, uh, but man, um, how many ways can you do a sword fight, you know? Uh, sometimes he fights with wood swords, sometimes he fights with bronze swords, sometimes he fights with spears that he picks up. Uh, he even fights <laughs> with two swords, whoa, how about that, man? This guy has two swords, he's so bad <laughs> Oh god. I mean... Is that your opening argument of how many times can you write about a sword fight? Because the answer from Evan Winter is for like 467 pages <laughs> successfully. <laughs> and like, I think one of the cool, like we talked last or a couple episodes or maybe in a future episode. I don't know with posting days these days. You might hear this in the future. You might have heard this in the past. We compared Godzilla minus one to an like an anime like it had a big anime feel this 100 percent did and to the best degree like there's literally a dragon ball z like time chamber in this and it is the most cool version of that i've seen in a long time where tau literally just says oh you can go into the demon realm in your dreams and fight demons so i can train while i'm asleep yeah, I'm going to do that so that I can become the best warrior of all time. <laughs> and he, like, dies in his nightmares every single night just so he can kill a guy that killed his father. And, like, that – stuff like that, the elements of that, this book just oozed cool. Um, I'll leave it there, but I have more to say. Go ahead. <laughs> Problem number two, the rage of dragons who star in the first bit and then a little bit literally on the last 10 pages. So about the first chapter and the last chapter and everything else in the middle is sword fights and no dragons. <laughs> Ex at except, all. Except at all. There's, there's actually a perm in the novel that is called A Rage of Dragons. Like, the rage is coming. They constantly refer to it. It's this like and honestly, there's another point that I'm going to say. There's a dragon Evan, on the cover. Evan Winter did well. Dragons, when used in excess, become not cool. Like, they need to be something that's like this oppressive force in the background that you're a little afraid is going to show up every once in a while, but doesn't. That's when dragons are the most compelling. When they're on screen all the time, every time in a book or movie, I've seen dragons constantly on screen. I get bored. I get sick of the dragons. Like at Game of Thrones. Five seasons of like minimal dragons. Whenever you saw them, sick. Loved them. <laughs> Three seasons of dragons all the damn time. I got sick of the dragons. <laughs> you know? Um, so I thought I thought that was a good part of it. Yeah, just a lot of sword fights. It really should have been called, uh, you know, the sword. The rage of swords or something like that. I think would be a lot more apt. <laughs> I also, I love how he did the dragons of being this, like, kind of kaiju mind, con like, mind connection thing in the demon realm. Like, he, he took a little bit from, maybe inspiration from, like, Pacific Rim there. Um, and it was excellently done in a fantasy setting where 
and it gave the, his um, in a society where like clearly the men were the warriors and the female characters were like relegated to a different role it gave them like a really compelling story as well we see that a lot with male fantasy authors where they want to create a society like that that is true to like medieval times and they they try and do it like well but it comes off as just yeah it also did really well the fact that the warriors are incredible like spartan level but then they are scared little children when they do what the women do which is go into the other realm um so that was really cool to see like women are essential to the the fighting um they just have a different role with role with their gift that sounds um, super positive, Colin. It sounded positive, except here's the thing. <laughs> he fights these demons that, like, don't exist, but there's, like, this forceful, no, like, Tao's fighting these demons, and they really hurt him constantly. And it's yeah. like, wouldn't you become desensitized to that? And wouldn't, like, it just... And the coolest character is... So we stick with basically Tao virtually the entire time. It's, like, one character for an entire fantasy novel, which is usually that's rare that you would have a big fantasy tome and it's almost entirely one character the whole time point of view so that's yeah. the one thing i really didn't like also about the book is that the female character his uh love interest is super cool and i want to learn all about her upbringing her uh what she does how she trained to do what she does that's so essential to tao's victory and to the life of his people and the culture of the Omegi people, but we don't get that. We don't get that at all. We do get like, I think one or two other characters who are also men, but just that, you know, it's really Tao's story for, for whatever, the whole thing. And not as much of her, which is like so integral to the society. I liked the- Could have had a couple chapters in there with her. I that would have been nice. I liked the single focus. It reminded me a lot of, um, uh, RF Kwan in the Poppy War, like, yeah, we stick with, I forget her protagonist's name. We stick with her protagonist the whole time, but through the eyes of her protagonist, we get the compelling story and all these cool character introductions. Like, I think if we were to jump around points of view, we wouldn't have gotten Uduak, uh, his progression as well as we did. Like, we would have probably seen from his eyes how Tao like he felt about Tao, instead of seeing this behemoth of a warrior who is like hates Tao in the beginning because he should have killed him in a brawl, grow into like his best friend and his right hand man because of like he sees Tao's dedication and the fact that he is just so hell bent on becoming a killing machine. Uduak is like kind of afraid of him, <laughs> but doesn't yeah. want to admit it. So he like keeps him on his. Their society is also very caste based and full on, you know. All like right, eugenics. beer of the week. <laughs> beer of the week. Beer of the week. All right, I have a beer here. Me too. What do you got, oh. Colin? I have uh, Winged Creatures West Coast IPA by Wayfinder. That is that's that pretty is perfect. perfect. Themed. How about that? Yeah. Not a dragon, but it'll come for you in your nightmares. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. 
and I imagine there's a fair amount of rage. I can see it in the eyes there. Yeah, you can see it in the wrathful eyes, pure white, pupilless eyes. Yeah, yeah. Let's absolutely. get a sound from it. Nope. Probably. Um, wow. I Travis? have. I have sticking with the local Montana's Bernstein's uh, mm-hmm. map in Bozeman. All right. Their most popular beer is Midas Crush. It's an IPA. It's really good. Okay. Uh, it has kind of a bit of tangerine flavor to it. I like it. It's Trust a fruit Midas and Crush. IPA, and you like it? Yeah, I'm saying something because I hate sours. and I have grown to like IPAs. I've, I've joined the dark side. Well, it happens if you, what you drink enough what of you them. you got, Clay? Uh, I rated the fridge at home, and I just have what was in there. Um, I had two options. My or mouth, you, Can you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, drinking wow. this Mountain Man, and I think you drank it uh, recently on the Jeremiah show as well, Johnson. but I don't give a shit because yeah. uh, it's delicious. And my other choice was a Bush Light that expired two years ago. <laughs> I'm not drinking it. Uh, so here we go. You That's don't want two-year-old bush latte <laughs> i don't want a two-year-old bush latte um so i'm not yeah, i'm not doing it this beer is very citrusy it's definitely an ipa definitely got that bite of hops i will say i was prepared to drink that bush light you know if it would have came down to it but Nothing. I'm really glad that you had this mountain man in here because now I don't have to. There you go. I yeah. um, I think mountain man or Midas Crush is so popular because nothing about it is overpowering. Like it, the hops mm. for an IPA, the hops are light. For a citrus flavored beer, it's got like a good mix of like different citrus flavors that aren't none of them like assault you. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very balanced. So I love a nice, subtle citrus in a beer. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite things. Um, it's one of the reasons I like Belgian whites so much because there, there tends to be that like orange flavor, but it's it's not usually overpowering like a like a sour is, you know, or like a West Coast IPA, which this yeah hits like a West Coast IPA. <laughs> I'll have to bring you a Midas, bro. It is not bad though. It is you'll not like, bad at all. You'll like them. Okay. And I love uh, this Mountain Man by Jeremiah Johnson. I've had it before, but it's a very smooth, easy drinking for a scotch. You know, it's still like heavy. It's a scotch. Um, but yeah, it's easy drinking. It's, it's. I don't feel like I'm eating like a cheeseburger as I drink it, which is kind of nice. Like it does still taste like a drink. Um, so I appreciate drinking a coffee but, shake. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I enjoy it. Um, all right, I guess it's my turn. Fun facts. To, uh, I'm going to do some some facts. Fermented facts. All right, fermented facts. This is usually Colin's segment. I'm going to take it over today because Colin took over debating. And uh, I did look around uh, for some fun facts about the Rage of Dragons. Um, and the, the main one that people focus on is the one that Travis took. Uh, but that's okay, because I can go a little bit deeper into it. Um, 
so yes, this was a self-published book that kind of blew up and became a huge success. In fact, uh, it was announced on an Ask Me Anything on the R Fantasy subreddit, um, and it was pushed into the top 250 books selling on Amazon for that day. Um, wow. And that was kind of the start of its journey, uh, going and getting noticed by Orbit and Tor. Um, they actually they made a deal with uh, Orbit for a four book deal. Um, he didn't even have an agent. Evan Winter didn't even have an agent until, uh, which is crazy, kind of a reverse situation. You know, usually if you're going into traditional publishing, you spend like seven years trying to get an agent. That agent helps you get into the door with the big publishers. And then you spend another like three to four years trying to sell whatever book that agent picked up with you like five years ago. Um, it's pretty brutal. <laughs> So good on you, Evan, because what actually happened with him was he sold four books to Orbit and Orbit was like, you should get an agent, you know, <laughs> uh, and he was like, okay. Uh, so he did, obviously, because if you tell any, I, I mean, I would imagine you tell most agents, hey, I sold four books already. Do you want to be my agent? They're going to be like, you already did the hard. Yeah, absolutely. Let's yeah, go. So, um, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mean you've already, yeah, I'll take commission on it. Let's go. Um, so that's what they did and, um, signed with his agent and things got moving immediately. Now, Evan Winter, uh, has a history working in the creative industries. He worked in the film industry. Um, so he was no stranger to these processes and it's actually why he chose to self-publish. He chose to self-publish because he didn't want, he had spent his life already kind of like, being creative sort of at the whimsy of other people, mm. um, which is especially how it kind of goes in the film industry for a lot of people. Uh, but he loved fantasy and he wanted to make something that was actually his, which is why he self-published in the first place. However, uh, he had just a really good uh, relationship and a really good interaction with Orbit and Tor. Um, he is quoted here as saying, every change they made in brackets, no exaggeration, was something I could see would make the story stronger. So he made all the changes they suggested, and they moved forward with the series. He loved his cover design. He loved his audiobook narrator. So it sounds like it was a really positive experience from top to bottom. Um, now, that's what people pretty much would say in an interview regardless, but I do... I do think Evan was pretty genuine here because I think if he hadn't felt that way, um, he's very clear in his uh, bio and everything that this is something that was important to him. And he wrote this specifically to accomplish this goal of creating something that was all his. Um, so he must have really, he must have been honest about that, which is cool to see. You know, I, I love to see that, uh, you know, you hear a lot of horror stories about traditional publishing and things, um, but that's not how it always goes. And Evan Winter is a great example of how it can go really positively. So I thought that was cool. Talk about cover design. Orbit, like, gets fantasy fans. Like, their books Fire. are, like, perfectly sized with the large text. They're floppy, which is awesome. All of the spines, like, perfectly match and have the number of the book on the side. And, that like, is nice. Ah, oh, as a fantasy But it's just fan, two, right? There's only well, two yeah, so far? Yeah, two right now, but all of their books do it. Like, I have all nine... Uh, 
expanse series books and they're all orbit and they all are like perfectly one through nine and then you look over at like my dresden files collection there's like 17 of theirs and every time i go to the next one if i'm not in my house looking at them in order i have to google like next dresden book <laughs> it doesn't say what number it is anyway the worst is when your ocd kicks in because they're like different heights and thicknesses like thickness is okay but heights yeah I haven't on the shelf that. But yeah, I can see why Evan would be like, I love my cover design. Just orbit knocks out of the park like every time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and this is something that's important because I, when I read this book, I, it was a very new kind of magic system in mythology to me. Um, mm -hmm. And though he, he will, he's on record as saying, uh, and I don't know exactly how to pronounce this uh, group of people, but his ancestral people um, from Africa, it's apparently the second largest uh, tribe compared to like the Zulu nation uh, in Africa is what I have read on the internet. Uh, so if I am wrong about that, I apologize. Um, but the uh, it's, it's spelled X-H-O-S-A. Uh, that is sort of his ancestral people. And uh, he loosely based the story around them, but it's very clear that like these are the people in his story are not those people. Mm -hmm. um, he isn't directly taking from any African mythology or African gods or goddesses, etc. Um, so he was very clear about that. Um, inspired I think he's by the, that in that in the story too. It, yeah, it felt like it was sort of like African sort of tribal people inspired but not ripping off of that i mean there's very much like um uh the odyssey and iliad vibes yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh yeah, yeah man, I, didn't, I didn't think about the achilles that's there for sure <laughs> oh yeah and i mean yeah. it's in the uh i mean it's it's reflected in the cover too i mean that is a very much like an epic carved into stone kind of uh vibe oh, yeah like a greek cover, freeze yeah. <laughs> along in the temple yeah for sure yeah it's pretty cool um so yeah i mean i love uh i love everything evan winter's about uh as a as a creator i think his story is really cool um and if you've never read his bio before it's pretty awesome uh he literally says in his uh bio he became a director and cinematographer, met a couple con men in the process, was threatened by UK mobsters in the case of mistaken identity, and became the creative director of one of the world's largest infrastructure companies before realizing that the words in his head would never write themselves. So he started writing them. Um, it's a good bio. Great. Yeah, it's a great bio. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what a G. Um, so I think that's pretty good for, for fermented facts, right? That's, yeah. that's some facts. We, do we feel factualized right now? I feel everybody. Factual. Colin, what do you think? Facts. Yes. First facts. What do you, you fact it all over First. me. Right on your face. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. <laughs> good. All right, good. So Colin is satisfied with my facts um, and how they splattered upon his face. So I guess we'll move on uh, to I have notes and I will take this hat off. Now I'm a whole different person. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I know I have this. I got sunlight sensitivity from the dome yeah. there. 
prepare. <laughs> and then I'm also sweaty. Give it a little extra oh. sheen. This yeah. is good. This is good stuff good. right here. Um, yeah. So I'm not going to have as many notes, I don't think, as Jeremy generally does. Um, I will say, first note, uh, I think you were pretty generous there, Colin, saying that this book was only 98% sword fights. This book was 99.7% sword fights um, at the very like least. human temperature. And it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was the human temperature level of sword fights, um, which I guess if you're a human temperature was a healthy amount. Um, but for anybody who wanted to not read that many sword fights, maybe not so much. Um, I also have to say, uh, Colin, yes, for a story that is titled The Rage of Dragons, shockingly little dragons in this story. Um, they are there in the beginning. They are there at the end. Um, and that is... You know, that's pretty much it. I guess you could make the argument that they're there the whole time. Um, but, you know, we don't really know that as readers, um, especially since, you know, for all I know, that opening segment of the story wasn't even real. Like that was just mythology, you know. Um, I mean, until the end, it kind of gets like. You mean until we see the dragons again? Yeah. Until the same stuff happens, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Until they explicitly tell me that that is not the case. Um, I wasn't even sure if the dragons were actually real. Um, which, you know, if I was a reader going into this and looking for dragons, I could definitely see myself not being stoked about the amount of dragons that there are not in this book. <laughs> um, I do have to say, uh, Travis, thank you for pointing out that Colin totally flipped on his uh, debate. He totally lost sight no, of the no, ball I, there. I, no, no, you gone. You did. It's a fake out. That was a that was, a, was fake not play. a fake out. That was not I don't think it was a fake out. I think you just agree with that point so staunchly. You can't always you, disagree. Yes, you, you can. can. You just have to lie. Yeah, you can't. Forgive me, Father. You can't. <laughs> and then, because then you get your point. You know, you get your time. It was a QB so sneak. QB sneak. That's all I was doing. I, I didn't see it coming. I don't think you were. I think you forgot what you were doing. <laughs> I think I think you're used to open table and you were ready to do that. Well then I'm one, you know, I'm four and one. <laughs> Where are you getting these numbers? What for what? I made four <laughs> negative points and one positive. Point. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. 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 Um. All right. Cool. Yeah. No, I think that's. Yeah. So I think that's pretty good. And then uh, my final note, like Travis, you know, somebody's segment is fun facts. Why well, you gotta keep doing this? It helps my argument. <laughs> <laughs> You're just looking out for number one. Like how? How am I supposed to avoid? Did did mentioning the bu the budget of Godzilla not help my argument? It helped my argument because the movie like looks amazing for fifteen million dollars. Did the fact does there any published that like? Well, maybe I didn't need this one as much, but I don't think you needed it. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't think you did. I needed um, the Godzilla one. I needed that one. I don't think you needed that one either. It's you know, can't you just let Colin, you know, have his have his go there no how yeah. do you feel about this colin travis kind of edging in on your territory here every debate not even feeling feel, sorry about it 
Yeah. I feel used and abused and discarded. <laughs> it's not well, enough what, to like I have a bacterial infection. It. Right. Eating away my body and is my mind. Your, is that your last note, Clay? I guess so. <laughs> I I guess so. It sounds like it is. It sounds I'm like asking it is. I'm asking if it is, like because No, yeah. Yeah. I want to know what Colin thinks about Rage of Dragons. Listen, there was no Travis interruption in these notes or facts, which I feel like is unsportsmanlike. It's out of character. Mm -hmm. I feel like Colin actually... We're missing two Travis interruptions. I feel like Colin really liked Rage of Dragons. It's not not actually uncharacteristic. (laughs) Let me go on the record here. Let me go on the record here. Because I have some hot takes about this book. Okay. Big time. Okay. It better be really hot, Colin, because Evan Winter. St- this is for you, Evan Winter. I'm annoyed with you. Oh. I'm annoyed with you, and I'm annoyed with this book, The Rage of Dragons. Okay. A lot. Because a lot. this book is a debut fantasy novel. Debut <laughs> author here. Real and annoying. It's one of the best fantasy books I have ever read. And I've read a lot of fantasy books. Mm-hmm. This is like top five territory, along with like Lord top of the Rings, five. any Brian Sanderson Whoa. stuff, you oh. name it. This is okay. one of the top five I've ever read, along hey. with those people oh. that I've written dozens of Damn. number 10 top best ever fantasy books. This might be, this is a top five hottest take that Colin has ever delivered. It probably is. I'm, I I haven't said that for anyone else that we've read, except maybe the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I am now going to disagree with Colin, and it's going to be a weird disagreement because I didn't <laughs> everything I said. I believe I love this book, but this ain't this ain't the Two Towers. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, hey, take it easy. We still got to debate the Two we're Towers. We're gonna we're gonna debate that one, but oh, um, that's right. No, I do really really like this book though. But to me, it was like how I really like John Wick. Like it, it does exactly what it's supposed to do to perfection, and that's world build and a, a lot of action. And that's that's John Wick. John Wick has two modes: world building and action, and that's it. And I feel like Rage of Dragons is world building and action. It's medieval John Wick, and I absolutely love that about it. <laughs> but I'm never gonna like. I didn't. I didn't find it like a top five for me. But it's it's an excellent fantasy book. What do you guys think? The top five. Out of it? What? Oh well. First, let's talk about Clay's point, which is I bet Clay loved it. Do what do you think, Travis? I'm just curious. I don't know. Clay's not a huge action guy. I think he. I bet it's true. I think he was middle of the road on it. Mm, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Colin, what was your question? Uh, what? You're not even going to say? <laughs> now it's your turn. <laughs> no, I'm just curious. I just want to know what you guys thought. Well what, well, what do you think? We'll get there. Okay. What was your thing, Colin? We're building some suspense here. All right. Fine. Oh, I was going to ask Travis what he thought keeps it from top five fantasy book territory. I think, okay, I, I am a person who does believe in objective. Which, by the way, that's a high, that's a really high ranking. Like, you that can is. have a great fantasy book like this, and it doesn't need to be top five. Like, yeah. that's kind of absurd. Yeah, yeah. It's um, extremely high. Yeah, yeah. 
I am a person who believes in objective truths philosophically, but I do think a lot of art is subjective. And I think for me, um, it had a lot of great elements. Like I say, like John Wick, it did a couple things to absolute perfection. And then other things like, I think for a book to be in top five books of all time, all the puzzle pieces have to be like at the highest of A games. And like the characters in this, like five of them were amazing. The rest, they're kind of cookie cutter. Um, I thought the sex scene was completely unnecessary. <laughs> like, like I don't, I don't really know why it was in there, and I also don't really know why Evan described it so like detailed. Like it was kind of a Joe Abercrombie. I feel the same Jimmy, thing about. Baby. I feel the same thing about Joe Abercrombie. Like he's a very action world building person. And his characters are very good. And then he'll throw in like a gratuitous sex scene. And I'm like, why, Joe? Like, I, I don't know why <laughs> um, you needed to do that. And that's kind of where I felt about this. And books that I'd put on the top five, like never, not a beat in their story ever feels unnecessary. And not a character ever feels wasted or a line. And like that to me is not this book. This book is excellent, but there is some empty space there. And there are some things that didn't have to really be in the story for it to work. And I don't think a top five book has any of that. Like I will even go yeah. so far to say, Colin, my one of my favorite, like on the level of enjoyability, one of my favorite series of all time is Wheel of Time. I would not say it's a top five fantasy series of all time because yeah. of the elements. Rocky. <laughs> It has it has rough points. It it has three whole books that are like seventy five percent rough points. Stinkers. <laughs> Granted, that's in a fourteen book series, so like most of it is still good. But three whole books are like Robert. <laughs> what are you doing here, bud? Clayton and I disagree on this, but still. Yeah, I I felt like a lot of the stuff that would normally be poorly done did flip and it you know he he never talked down to the reader there was no trope that was just boring or didn't develop into a, something a little more complicated so we know there's that he is going to want to ha take vengeance and kill all these people that killed his father in front of him um but uh those do not happen the way i thought they were going to happen um mm -hmm. And he has a great relationship with his biggest, you know, villain. Um, yeah. You know, that's a great relationship, which was excellently done. And I think with the love story, too, like that's also kind of a complicated situation. It's not really cookie cutter in any way. Yeah. And the coolest thing is like when you have a magic system in a good fantasy book, it should always have complications. It can't just be amazingly powerful without some sort of limit on it and mm -hmm. some sort of explanation and especially some sort of um, basis in like how that works in the culture. And I feel like it just checked all the boxes for all that stuff. The dragons like there's a reason why the Omehi can deal with dragons and summon them and it involves mystical stuff and also personal stuff and cultural and really complicated and then Tao is also like a freedom fighter kind of style person um, involved in a revolution but that doesn't really go off like uh, in uh, the Hunger Games style which is a little more sort mm -hmm. of tropey stereotypical written for a younger audience for sure yeah but 
No, I agree with you. And that's where at the end, I'm not arguing against you. I, I do right. think. <laughs> yeah. Evan, <laughs> it's Winter, definitely a good book. Evan Winter on his debut, like put himself in the same conversation as people like Brandon Sanderson. Yeah. Joe Abercrombie. Like he's there. Like I would put him on the level of those two, but those two aren't top five for me. Um, <laughs> and I think for the same reasons, their books yeah. are excellent, but the whole piece isn't like a perfect mosaic. Um, and I would say Clay might like this book because it does one of his favorite things. And it's one of my favorite things too. I, I just I argue, hang out in the corner and drink while we talk about what he thinks. I argue with him about it, but I do agree with him. I just sometimes like to fight him on it. Book has stakes. Like this book has oh, yeah. stakes. Not a character is safe, especially by the end. When I'm going into the sequel, I'm like, anyone's fair game. Because like that ending was just like chopping block all the heads <laughs> and i was like okay i see you evan winter no one's safe someone can die next chapter i love that um so mm -hmm. that was a really good thing yeah i did really like that and you're exactly right about what i didn't like about it which was like boy i get it <laughs> y'all like y'all like to fight um, or maybe you don't necessarily like it, but you didn't get a lot of choice, uh, in the whole matter. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, too much action honestly puts me to sleep. I, it's kind of ironic, uh, unpopular opinion, but if all people do is fight, then I don't care about any of the fights. Mm. Um, but like you said, uh, both of you have made good points. Uh, the thing that did keep me invested in this book, and I would say upper middle of the road for me. Like, I still liked it. I will read book two. Um, you know, whereas you know me, I, I'm not you, Travis. I'm the polar opposite. If I don't like something, I won't even finish it. No less. God. <laughs> read the next one. You know, no. I don't I don't care. Uh, I don't have time. I have to read too much for this show and for my life outside of the show. I have to read stuff all the time. So if I don't like it, I ain't got time for it. Yeah. Um, I finished Rage of Dragons. I liked it. I will read the second one. I, I think Evan Winter is awesome as a human. Um, and I really, I mean, what really got me with this book was the stakes are super high. I do think there are some awesome character relationships uh, that are like intrinsically there because of the magic system. Yeah. Um, like the sort of shaman, uh, shamanic magic system with the women spellcasters. Uh, like what Robert Jordan wish he could have done with women spellcasters. Uh, and by that, I mean, making them like, you know, real people uh, with impact on the story. Um, no, that's not fair to Robert. I know Thank he you. has him. He had two women in there that weren't every other woman in the story. Um, <laughs> two. Uh, because the third one is every other woman in the story. Uh, <laughs> All right. I'm this is a wheel of time. Not a wheel of about time. About naive. <laughs> um, anyway, this uh, the relationship between uh, the, the love interest, uh, those relationships were great. I love the magic system. It was super unique. I love this idea of... I felt like that battle in the demon realm was kind of indicative of like warrior warrior culture as a whole. Uh, like these yeah. people are always stuck fighting, you know? And it kind of, to me, 
represented that like the way that that kind of a lifestyle is going to come home with you it's going to haunt you and it's going to continue to beat you up even when you're not on the battlefield um so even though it wasn't necessarily my cup of tea it wasn't like it wasn't like i'm going to say john wick because i don't like john wick and i don't care what travis thinks about that um i it wasn't just so the movie was all action it felt like it had a deeper meaning than that to me it felt like it represented that part of like warrior culture and somebody who's a warrior's mindset and the demons they have to bring home with them i thought that yeah. was brilliantly done because tau i mean eventually tau has to learn that he's only going to succeed if his team succeeds right. so he's the best fighter among a lot of people but he's not the best fighter necessarily and if his team loses he's he's done for he loses several times because oh yeah he leaves his team and if he doesn't mm -hmm. follow his his like kind of captain which i really liked that char character i forget his name but the captain guy yeah um, the smart guy yeah so, and i don't mm -hmm. want to get too much in it we're not debating john wick but i will say in inverse the reason i compared it is i think a book like this does an awesome thing and sanderson does this too where Sanderson does have a little more depth to his stories when you like actually dig into them. Like he actually knows what he's doing. There's a reason he's a professor. They're not my cup of tea, oh, yeah. but there's a, he knows the elements of his story that have more depth. But um, like, if you ever want to read a Sanderson book on just like, if you want to read Mistborn on surface level and not really care too much about it, it's also still a great read. <laughs> True. And I think Rage of Dragons is like that of like, you could turn your your critical brain off and just read Rage of Dragons, and these sword fight action scenes are so amazing. You're going to be just like, oh but yeah. In Stormlight Archives, what annoyed me to no end is everything has to do with starlight, your your light, your, your right. starness. Your but everything is stormlight in that book, and then in this book, it's like we're not going to do that. Everything is not going to be a reference to dragons, even though that's the title <laughs> of the book. Okay, and I was like, thank God, fantasy that we did this. <laughs> But that's yeah. yeah, that's the elements of a good action film, and that's what I think John Wick does. And moving away from John Wick, like uh, a lot of like South Korean action films, like The Raid, Redemption, um, mm -hmm. movie is just breakneck action the whole time, and you can turn your brain off, but when you turn it back on, it's like The Departed with the best martial arts like filmmaking of all time in it. Um, and I think that's what Rage of Dragons does that is similar to action films that are good is like you don't have to care and you'll still be entertained but when you start to care it becomes even better because there's actually something underneath this that is layered and nuanced um and i think yeah evan did really yeah their their society is like so stratified and stuck in its um caste system and then you know over the course he realizes that gee he's been lied to a lot mm -hmm. like oh, everything that undergirds that oh, society geez. is a lie yeah true no and uh yeah to for the record i think john wick is a great comparison for this book i just think this book did something at least for me that john wick did not do I uh agree. which was <laughs> have that well. psycho that psychological element to what the action was for um yeah and I, I thought that was pretty cool 
Um, and I agree. There's there's an excellent cultural backdrop in this story, as like you were saying, Travis. You did say this uh, that the world building is on point, um, and I definitely think this. And it it's certainly not just interesting because it's unique, but that does help. That does help because um, we, you know, so many fantasy stories are just in sort of the same sort of time period, like the Steel Age. Um, so many they're all you know european we've all heard this already yep. and this is already lots of people have broken from this convention at this point um arv kwam fondelier two great examples of that uh so i think that is less of a thing now than it's ever been before um but you know african folklore is still something that we don't know know a lot about in like eurocentric society yeah. and it was cool to see it front and center um in, in a really uh, fast pace and well-written fantasy book. Uh, like, I love that cultural backdrop. Um, I think so that was really fun for me, and not just because of the novelty, but also because it was well-developed in its own right. I think Evan Winter, too, proved, like, it's just going to sound, I don't know, maybe stupid, but how, like, simple good world-building is. And it's literally, yeah. just, do you have an answer to all the questions your readers are going to ask? Because, like, mm -hmm. I always look at when I think of bad world building, and this is a weird thing because these are a good series of novels, but Harry Potter is bad world building. And oh, it's yeah. Because when you ask, when you start to really ask questions, <laughs> J.K. Rowling does not Boy. have answers. <laughs> like, Brendan Lee Mulligan in, in their Dimension yeah. 20 game was like, You don't know about nukes? Yeah, he does. <laughs> I, not even that. Even they didn't. The, it's like, like what to the smallest degree of like where's math class like do these kids just yeah. not learn arithmetic like they're still human beings in the world they need to know how to add and subtract but apparently that doesn't exist in your school um also why is your school just like creating the most bad rivalry system of all time anyway <laughs> yeah also speaking of bad tropes in fantasy Harry Potter is the chosen one, like we've seen a million times yeah. with everything. Tao does everything he does that's incredible through hard work and yeah. even harder work and even harder work. And that's he doesn't. I was gonna not say born that. with it, not a supernatural reason, nothing, just hard work constantly. I was, I was gonna say which that is awesome. One of my favorite parts because Clayton mentioned like combat and. Yes, military combat is different than like combat sports, but every single division one wrestler hero of mine that I've met is batch crazy. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. You have to be. Whole life is just wrestling, and it's like that. You is have to be. Like you yeah. have to just dedicate every waking hour and breath of your life and being to that sport to be as good as they are. And that's just that is just the price of greatness, dude, that it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. We're like that with books and movies, like try to have a conversation with me and not devolve into like books and movies. You're going to be bored because like that's what I'm going to end up talking about. And I'm going to be bored if you don't let me do it, <laughs> um, because I don't care about whatever you care about nearly as much as books and movies you know um and if you give me the opportunity to just talk about movies and books for three hours straight that's what i will do to you um <laughs> and i i never liked uh hanging out with a lot of my wrestling team honestly like the guys who were the best on the team they weren't my favorite people to hang out they're great guys i love them but they weren't my favorite guys to hang out with 
because they would start talking about wrestling and i was like i don't care <laughs> like, <laughs> like i don't want to talk about wrestling i i i got enough of that at practice let's talk about literally anything else um and that's tau is a great example of that i've actually seen a lot of flack uh, about him as a protagonist, um, like him not being a likable protagonist. And, but I, I actually liked him a lot because just what you said, Travis, that is exactly what professional athletes are like. They're just like hyper competitive, hyper focused, and that this is their life. And like, if you want to be great at something, sorry, but that's what it takes, kind of, you know, like I'm not talking about good at something or competent, I'm talking about great. If you want to be the best at something, there's a price for that. And that price is, it's kind of obsession. Um, yeah. You know, an obsession, I guess, is the bad side of the coin. It's like the bad word for it. Um, the good word would be like dedication, uh, passion, blah, blah, blah. They're all the same thing. Um, it, it's very all consuming. If you really want to be the best at something, it's, it's all consuming. That's the yeah. price. This book immediately made me think of uh, when I met Kyle Dick. So, listeners who don't know kyle dake is the only person to ever win four national d1 national titles at four different weight classes and beast. i went to one of, went to one of his camps he's a beast how do you even do that aren't those like more than 100 pound difference no 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 no, like, no not not like weight classes they're like in pounds. his weight class but he oh, won okay. every year freshman no, sophomore, no. junior he went up every year but he won his freshman year, his sophomore year, his junior year, his senior yeah. year is what I'm trying to call, tell Colin is what yeah. you mean by four time. No, at different weights. Well, yeah, <laughs> That's but it was one was. weight per year. Yeah, one weight per year. He didn't. But count. he weighed 100 pounds and then 200 pounds and then 300. No, no, no. The weight class. <laughs> That's is right. Colin. Yeah, I That's know. Right. <laughs> I got it. I got it. And, then, heavy and then he is back down to 150. <laughs> <laughs> and then he did the featherweight class and he won that too. Anyway. Um, now, Conor McGregor did do that. Conor McGregor had three belts and three weight classes three at weight the same class. time. Did he really? Oh, my God. He did. Yeah. But anyway, Absolutely. story. Yeah. I went. I went to this camp with Kyle Dake and like, he was a really nice guy. I liked Kyle more than I've met some of my wrestling heroes and really just not liked them as people. But I met him. He was a cool guy, but we were playing dodgeball and this is like an all ages camp, like six, fun. six, <laughs> six to high, like six to 18. Every age is at this camp and we're playing dodgeball. And he's like smoking these six-year-olds. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, they gotta learn. Like you would. I remember his assistant coach. His assistant coach like looked at him and was like, "Kyle, like." Oh, you cut out for me, Travis. Yeah, we lost you there, Trav. We lost that whole bit. Go back. Repeat it. I still get he's hit. trying. No. He's trying. It's not working though. Oh. Hey, Hello? I can hear you. Okay. You're there good. you're back. I'm back. Okay. Yeah, so we lost you right at the part where Kyle Dake was just absolutely annihilating sixth graders at dodgeball. Yeah. His his assistant coach came to him and said, like, you can let the kindergartners win. And Kyle's response was legit. He was like, No, I can't. I never lose. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was the right. mentality. Like, he doesn't lose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, do they want to be champions? No. Yep. They got to be champions. Sorry. Be. Yeah. 
Well, and, and uh, on the same on that Conor McGregor subject, you know, watch that guy try to coach other people. Oh, boy, boy, <laughs> uh, he does not know how to care about other human beings. He is just like, have you tried fighting exactly like me? Because that's how I win. <laughs> um, and I would I would recommend just fighting like me. If I were, if I were me, that's how have I you, would recommend it. Have you just tried being tougher? <laughs> yeah. Have you just tried being better than the other person like I do? Uh, it works for me almost every time. Um, but yeah, I mean, Talis, you know, he's one of those people. Yep. He's a, he's, he's single-mindedly focused and he puts every uh, waking hour and even non-waking hour into it. And that's, that's who you get. Oh, and I said this before the show, but so I, I got to say it on on the live. Um, even though we're not live, whatever. Um, it has this book has one of my favorite tropes of all time, which is the um, big bad guy is like talked up to be the worst thing ever, mm -hmm. and then the protagonist kills him in like one hit. And I do not even Love remember it. the name of the warrior, but it's like when they're in the semifinals of the tournament, tournament, and this guy's like supposed to be the the killer of killers like gonna give, gonna give the one dude a run for his money that uh tau's gunning for and he's like all right we want to settle this quick mono a mono whoever wins their team wins like agree yep. with and the guy's like no. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i just like killed him in two <laughs> and i was like yes <laughs> well and you know what i love about that that is true like yeah you always get these like like you're saying these did they talk it up for the whole show and then the fight is like super epic mm -hmm. and it's like how many how many fights did they do that for mike tyson and mike tyson was just like good night one yeah. punch you know and yep. it's like sometimes that's how it goes sometimes. you run into greatness and sometimes you're just not ready yep. um and you don't get a second chance uh when you're fighting with swords so, yeah, there was also yeah. some, you know, some of the fights had more complicated stuff going on. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, that one was a great example, but also another example was um, when he gets into a fight and he intentionally throws his head into the other guy's weapon because that's an automatic disqualification if you hit someone else in the head in a practice mm -hmm. round. Mm -hmm. And that's how he right. wins. And yeah. he and that he sort knows, of occurs to him smoked, in the middle right. of this sword fight that he sucks and this guy's way better. <laughs> and what the hell can he do? Oh, like, you know, this blow nearly hit his head and then he rethinks about that and then does that. Is he throws his head into it, the ref counts it, and that guy's disqualified, and that's how he wins. <laughs> yeah, I would be really surprised. In this tournament. I would be really surprised by the way he describes that kind of stuff that Evan, if Evan Winter hasn't done some kind of martial arts, like, Oh yeah. If he hasn't, and he just studied it and got that knowledgeable, even more kudos to him. But like, good job reading this. I was like, you've done something. I don't know if it was like Taekwondo, Muay Thai wrestling. I don't know what it was, but you, you've been in martial arts. Yeah. So that was really enjoyable to read. Like it was, it was a smart read for me, you know, like the fights had stakes going on and, you know, some of them are um, 
lots of buildup and conclusion that involves a lot more than sort of, you know, just how good are you with a sword? Yeah. Actual his process of learning how to fight differently than he has and and uh, fight different foes who have different strengths and weaknesses and what he understands about himself. I really felt like the overall, uh, you know, um, kind of the overall lesson that you draw among many from the book is, you know, you're never going to be the best fighter just by being the best swordsman. Tao learns he's not the best swordsman and when he's completely outmatched and what he can do to, no. to sort of win that bout or even lose that battle, but win the war. You know what I haven't mentioned as one of the best tropes subversions of like a uh, fantasy protagonist ever that goes unnoticed. He's short. <laughs> Think yeah. about it. How many fantasy protagonists have you ever read who are shorter than the other characters? Everyone in fantasy. Bilbo Baggins. Frodo and Bilbo yeah. are boom. There you go. But like yeah. friggin' every like hero protagonist. Like <laughs> I don't know. I've read a lot of it. It's not it's a little thing that just is like, okay, yeah. Thank you for the paragraph that says make sure that the reader knows that he's six foot one. I appreciate mm -hmm. that. <laughs> but like Tao's not. Tao's Tao's a little guy. True. And uh, I'm going to come in with a fermented fact. Um, this from an interview with Lightspeed magazine. Uh, Evan Winter has trained in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for almost two decades. Yep. Um, he says here, there's always something so desperate and immediate in being in martial arts. And there often comes a strange point where you're exhausted being beaten and there's nothing left in you, but the will to win. I'm fascinated by that moment and the things that follow from it. That makes Thank a lot you, of speed. Makes a lot of sense. I've been learning some BJJ mostly to defend it because, uh, when I do MMA, I really need to know how, um, Mm -hmm. And it makes sense that he's able to describe things that much because BJJ is one of those martial arts. It's like you have to think like seven moves ahead because you're mm -hmm. going you're gonna to try one choke and it's going to get blocked and they're going to roll out a certain way. So you're going to have to move to another hold and like it all flows one into the other. And that makes really, I see that now with the sword fights. Whereas wrestling, right. wrestling like boils down to the mentality of, there is a human being in front of me and I'm going to go through them. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. You did go from one move to the next, but it is like forward is the direction. Forward is the direction. Uh, pretty much always. Whereas BJJ, you can go down, you can go sideways, you can go backwards, you can go under, you can go up. Yeah. It All of those are options for you. Um, and the better you are, the more you can use every single option and put everyone else at a disadvantage. It is definitely like the water deck of martial arts, uh, yeah. to reference MTG. Uh, but it is totally like a counter style of fighting, you know? Yeah. He, um, I, I liked how he learns how to use his less dominant hand and then becomes ambidextrous because he gets so badly injured and you mm -hmm. think someone's badly injured like oh that's when you have all your scenes in the story that are like more emotional and they grow as a person and they develop a relationship with someone who takes care of them or whatever 
and then Winter said, like, I can fight with my other hand. This one's <laughs> all effed up. And, but then that's basically the reason why he becomes such a good fighter is because right. people do not expect that he is so good either way. How do you fight a guy who you think is right-handed? Which and, yeah, is left-handed now. We keep making all these like analogies, and I, this is gonna be a long episode, but hopefully a good one. But like that's just real sports too. Like baseball yeah. changed as soon as we got switch pitchers, and then we got switch hitters, and now we get switch pitchers against switch hitters, and it's like, who the hell knows what's gonna happen? <laughs> you know? No, that's really that's a great point. I'm more of a football guy, but uh, yeah, my my analogy would be similar. Like. It used to be kind of all run the ball and throw here and there. And then you had some teams that were like air forces and would throw for like a thousand yards a game. And then you develop the play action, which is faking the run and then passing or faking the pass and then running. Um, And then ironically, like the more you like do all this funky stuff, the more just going back to the fundamentals starts to kick ass again. And it's like this cycle. It always goes Mm -hmm. in a cycle, but it's like, you have like a few generations of like, oh, these people are so revolutionary and crazy. And then like some people come in and are like, what about if we just did the thing that works forever and we just go back <laughs> to the basics because all these fancy people have forgotten how to defend that. And then they do and it works. And then everybody's like, maybe we just need to go back to that. And then the funky people come back, you know, and it's like a cycle. Um, but he does a really good job of like sort of showing those different phases of Tao's uh, martial arts career and development. Yeah. Yeah. If done right, anything's entertaining, you know, chess is boring as hell, but then, you know, Queen's, Queen's Gambit, Gambit is great <laughs> and everyone loved it. Completely. That's a great unrelated, point. Completely unrelated to the book, but I think I'm learning like once you start, once you actually have a stake in the game, that's when things become a bit. And you're right with Queen's Game, it like they make it a compelling story. But like, I never could watch a full boxing match before I started boxing, and now I like watch that them. does help. Watch them all the time because I'm like, oh, I kind of know what's going on, and this is helping me like improve my game. Um, so, yeah, no, I get that. I feel the same way about podcasts. I right? I never actually liked listening to podcasts but then we started doing one and i was like does our podcast suck answer was sort of um so i i started listening to a bunch of podcasts to suck less and i think we do uh yeah all right well uh colin how many uh rage drinks yeah you're just gonna rage pound every time Tau fights. <laughs> Every no, time Tau fights. Don't do that. No. You are. Don't do that. Last. No, this we book do is not, great. You want to. Uh, we do not condone alcohol relax. poisoning on this show. <laughs> we don't. Keep it to moderation. Yeah. In a DD. Please drink responsibly. You, uh, I, I'm caught off guard. Basically, yeah, you should drink uh, however you feel like. No, no, come on, Colin. You, you, come on. You can go with it. We didn't mean Seven. to shut you down. We didn't mean to shut you down. Seven? Okay. Seven. Seven beers. I would All say, right. um, so I'm finding a name because I need to. Seven out of seven. need to say his name right. Helen O'Carr, right? Um, I would say, like, stay sober, but, like, think about the victory drink you're going to drink when Tao finally meets Kellen O'Carr on the battlefield. 
Um, mm. And then as soon as that battle doesn't happen, like pound, <laughs> pound of beer. Because <laughs> like, Evan does tease you, spoiler alert. Like the whole Kellen O'Connor. But then I like what he does. It's like, cool car. I gotta put aside my revenge because this is a bigger problem. Um, yeah. So, yeah, pound a beer when you realize that him and Kellen O'Connor are never gonna have their best buds, never gonna have their vengeance fight. I think it'd be fun to drink whenever it's not a fight scene. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have like four. <laughs> yeah. Say four or five, maybe seven beers. Uh, this is a 400 page book. So there's maybe seven beers in there. Um, but not a whole lot, not too many. But, you know, that'll get you. That'll get you through to the next action scene, uh, which is where the all the real development of the story happens. Yeah. I, I'm glad we got into the athletics conversation because this was a fun book to read from like that lens. Yeah, it was. It really was. And mm. uh, like action movies, I don't, I feel like I bring it up quite a bit, but this one like was a clear one to one. Cool. I'm Thanks. struggling cool. to find the audiobook narrator killed it with this book. He I did. Oh, absolutely yeah. Absolutely perfect in every way. He did. And Clutch. I'm trying to find where I listened to it and what his name is and everything. But anyway, probably the second best narrator I listened to Boom. in the year. I would say very good. The guy who does the, green, the Greenbone saga is amazing. also clutch. Yeah. Also clutch. Um, I am personally a giant fan of the guy who does all Joe Abercrombie's books. I forget his name. Um, hilarious, super funny, really good voice versatility. But I agree with uh, this narrator was top notch and could not have appreciated the book without him because i would have been yeah. very lost yeah oh many oh delhi <laughs> yeah it's been, a, it's been a weird i've been on this like um i love to read physical books more than i like audiobooks but i drive to bozeman a lot these days because my girlfriend mm. lives in bozeman i live in belgrade it's like a 15 minute drive so it's like a chapter at the speed that i listen um so i like have just had a year of like Two chapters of audiobook, six chapters of reading, two chapters of <laughs> back and forth. And so if it's not a good narrator, that gets thrown off. Yeah. So I don't know what the accent is. I mean, it reminded me of like a Nigerian accent because I had a Nigerian roommate. Um, that's kind of what it sounded like to me. Um, and it just like fit so perfectly. Such a good job. I mean, the the tribe that this is very loosely based on is like south african so mm -hmm. um but i don't know i don't know if that is the accent this narrator is specifically going for if we just sort of went with like a i don't know if there's a general african accent like there's a general american i imagine there is i would um, i would think like night i would probably and maybe i'm wrong but i think nigerian is probably one of the most recognized like if you hear a nigerian your like internal bias is like that guy's from africa I think like that's kind of yeah. Maybe I think if you're really, a white American, yeah, that's like the <laughs> actual white American. Probably know. My roommate yeah. was Nigerian, so that's what I associated no, I'm, the narrator's I'm just accent saying, with. Like but. there are accents that we associate with every country, even yeah. if it's like incorrect. But you know, 
Right. Like there's a British accent that there's like 19, 20 British accents. And that is an understatement. I'm sure that a mm-hmm. British person would be like, uh, fuck you. Um, but like, we know like three of them. Right. Yeah. And if we hear any of those three, we're like, oh, you must be from England. <laughs> right. And if we hear any of the other ones, we're like, are you Scottish or <laughs> Exactly. Well, actually, you always know if it's Scottish because they it's like if an English person and an Irish person were both gargling nails. <laughs> but, Do we have any Scottish listeners? I don't know. We're Scottish, so. Get in the comments. Bring yeah, okay. what you really think. Yeah, Sorry yeah. about it. Sorry. My uh, my mother's maiden name is Kinberg. Kinberg. Uh, I feel I feel okay about saying that. <laughs> uh, I I love you, Scotland. Love love everything you're doing. Keep it up. I love you enough to not do a terrible Scottish accent on. I'm on, never gonna do a Scottish never accent. Never gonna try. Never. It. <laughs> no. Never gonna do it. Because that, I, I can do like a cartoony Irish accent um, and feel okay about that, but I can't do I can't do the Scottish. I can do Milton anyway. and attempting to do Scottish. Sure. Well, that's just doing a Mel Gibson accent, which you know is a great time uh, yeah. as long as you leave out all the Mel Gibson stuff. Um, I think that's probably pretty good, huh, lads? Uh, with ferment, fermented fiction. A Rage for the of Dragons. Day. Uh, Thumbs up. Rage of Dragons. Uh, I guess we're averaging about. Well, I don't know. What is uh, if Travis's average was like one, or one. Travis's was one? We both said about seven. One rage. So was that one rage beer? Yeah. Uh, drink somewhere between one to seven beers while reading this book and uh, enjoy it. It's a hell of a ride. Thank you for tuning into Fermented Fiction. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.